Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Faith Stories. I'm Matt Sefko. I'm going to introduce the Prestons today. You're right, I'm not Anne-Marie. It's still not Anne-Marie. I know, this is two times in a row now. Um, but Anne-Marie will be back here in a week or two, and she'll take back over. So that'll be good, too. All right. So um, everybody probably already knows Brian and, Andrew and Andrea Preston, um, but you may not know all the details about their life. So I'm going to tell a little bit about them. They've been married for 23 years. Um, they've been attending Faith Church for 17 of those years. And they've both been serving in various capacities at Faith in that time. Um, currently, Brian is a member of the worship team, and Andrea works in the toddler room. Um, Brian is a software engineer, and Andrea works part-time um, administratively here at Faith, although her full-time and most important job is being a mom to their four children, Keith, Renee, Kyle, and Elena. So I'm going to pray and ask that uh, we all pay, pay attention and keep, keep quiet so they can get started. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Prestons. We thank you that, um, that we can learn more about them and more about what, uh, what you're doing in their lives, what you have done in their lives. I pray that you would um, bless our time together following that as we talk about uh, the impact that you've had in our lives um, and discuss our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First up, see if you can find Brian. Oh, hey. Oh. Can you see it? All right. All right, that's enough of that. <laughs> yes, that's me, back row, second from the right. Um, Okay, I was born in uh, Greenfield, Wisconsin in 1973. Greenfield is a suburb of Milwaukee. So yes, I'm a proud cheesehead, although we didn't grow up as Packers fans because they were pretty bad most of that time. Uh, we actually grew up as Brewers fans, which is the baseball team in Milwaukee, and uh, enjoyed going to many games with friends and family. Uh, I have one older brother who's two years older than me. We were pretty close most of the time with similar interests and friends. Um, a major part of my childhood was my parents' jobs. In 1978, they opened one of the earliest dealerships for what Forrest Gump called uh, some kind of fruit company. <laughs> Apple. Uh, <clears throat> so growing up in, with that, uh, that opened up a lot of interesting and fun and unique opportunities growing up. Uh, I got to play around with a lot of the early versions of Apples and Macs before uh, Apple's first demise at the rise of the PCs in the early 90s. Uh, oh, this is still me. Yeah. Why is that? We're still Brian. Uh, we grew up going to a uh, Lutheran church from the Missouri Synod. Uh, my mom was the main driver there. She taught uh, kindergarten Sunday school for 25 years. Uh, my memories of the church was it was pretty liturgical. The first 25 minutes were the same every week. Uh, at, at times I viewed it as 25 minutes that you didn't have to think. It was all by rote. Uh, we had the same pastor my entire childhood. He did preach the gospel, and in high school, I gradually began to realize, gradually began to view God as a person rather than a distant object, and eventually I realized I needed a savior and put my trust in him. Uh, part of the liturgy there was a recitation of a creed. It was divided into three parts, one for each person of the Trinity. I remember thinking we heard a lot about God and Jesus, but not much about that third person, the Spirit. 
and this wasn't what prompted this change, but in my senior year of high school, I uh, followed some friends and attended an Assembly of God church and learned a little bit more or witnessed more of the spirits moving in that congregation. That was about as far from Lutheran style of worship as you, <laughs> you, you can imagine. Uh, I went for college, I went away about four hours to uh, Illinois Wesleyan University in Bloomington, Illinois, right in the middle of the state. Uh, I quickly got connected with InterVarsity, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Uh, they became my main social group as well as Christian community. InterVarsity played a huge part in my growth as a Christian. They had excellent training where I learned methods of inductive Bible study. We had good teachers and vibrant worship at our weekly large groups. Uh, evening prayer meetings, small group Bible studies, and older students and staff members who invested in and discipled younger members. It was also at InterVarsity meetings that I met a cute upperclassman named Andrea. We got to know each other through IV gatherings, eventually realized we were interested in each other, we kind of quietly acknowledged our feelings for each other, and eventually this became semi-public and a little bit scandalous in the IV community because of our age difference of three years. She was a junior, I was a freshman. So. Are they dating? So I was born, can you hear me? Okay. I was born on the south side of Indy, the baby of the family. I have four siblings who range in age from nine to 15 years older than me. Uh, many assume because of that that I was the accident. Um, but both my parents report that with a 9, 11, 13, and 15-year-old, they were bored. <laughs> they decided to have two more children. Um, sadly, when I was two, my mother gave birth to a stillborn baby, and their family was complete with five surviving children. My dad called all of us his favorite. We were dearly loved by both parents. One unique aspect of our family is that my dad suffered a couple of psychotic breaks, one prior to my birth and one when I was a freshman in high school. Um, both required time in a psych hospital ward and significant recovery time. Um, he also returned to the psych ward, psych ward as an older man suffering from a bout of severe depression. Um, my dad had actually grown up without his mother because she was institutionalized when he was an infant, probably postpartum depression that wasn't treatable in those years. Um, she spent the remainder of her life in nursing home care. <clears throat> but my dad was mentally healthy most of his life, and those experiences and stories just served to heighten my awareness and understanding of the impact of mental health challenges on families. Um, it also made me mindful of taking care of my own mental health. I told Brian before we got married, if it ever seems as though something is wrong with me, it probably is, get help. I was raised attending the United Methodist Church that sits on the campus of what is now the University of Indianapolis. Both my parents loved the Lord, and I first heard the gospel most clearly taught at a summer camp, a summer church camp, and ironically also at a Fellowship of Christian Athletes summer camp when I was in middle school. Um, I remember responding in my heart to a call to accept forgiveness for my sins offered through Jesus' sacrifice during that FCA camp. I also remember hating every other aspect of that FCA camp. Um, I was there because I played volleyball in middle school, and the volleyball coach was the FCA sponsor. She is the middle in the green shirt in that picture. Um, she was wonderful, and she discipled a number of us awkward middle school girls. I didn't consider myself an athlete. I'd never played another sport, and I never will again. Um, but that week, I was forced to play all sports all day, every day misery. Um, so God has a sense of humor that um, Fellowship of Christian Athletes is a part of my faith story. 
<laughs> when I went to summer orientation at Illinois Wesleyan University, my mom's roommate was a, another woman from Indiana, someplace called Rensselaer. My mom introduced me to her roommate's son, some boy named David Stowers, though he was Dave back then. Um, Dave then showed up in my freshman religion seminar class and in the university fellowship group. He and I would remain friends throughout college. Dave was there and remembers well when we were juniors and this freshman boy named Brian showed up and quickly caught my attention. David even ended up being a mentor and prayer partner to Brian while we were all still in college together. So those are InterVarsity pictures. David's in all of them. That's the three of us in the bottom right there. That's Cedar, Cedar Campus, those of you that know that, up in Michigan on the left. Cedar Campus up on the left. Oh, this is still That's me. Cedar, yeah. So I have a couple of stories that, for me, speak to God's kindness to grant those tiny, quiet heart thoughts and requests that only we know. Soon after I met Brian, and Brian doesn't remember when we met, but I do, so you can ask me later, um, my heart fluttered when I discovered Brian's middle name. I grew up with a love for boy names that start with the letter K, and I had it tucked away in my heart and mind that if I had children someday, I'd like to have a boy with a K name. Brian is Brian Keith Preston, and it honestly struck me, hmm, this could be the one. <laughs> and now I'm blessed with a Keith and a Kyle. I eventually discovered that Brian also has two grandparents married to each other who are each a twin. Um, and as our relationship developed, we naturally had conversations about what if we had twins. Um, and before we got married, we discussed the possibility of adopting. And most of you know that Kyle is a twin to the lovely Renee, and our youngest daughter is the beautiful Alana brought to us through adoption. At the uh, end of my freshman year of college, uh, Andrew and I were going to be apart for the summer. I went back home to Milwaukee, and she went to an internship in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, we'd stay connected mostly through letters and the rare long-distance phone calls. Those of you who are here too young to remember the days before cell phones and the Internet and constantly being connected, uh, you probably can't really appreciate the treasure of a handwritten letter. Um, for that summer, Andrew and I also decided that we would share and mail our inductive Bible study notes back and forth to each other along with our letters. And in that long distance way, we studied the book of Joshua together. Years later, we would name Kyle Joshua, uh, partly in remembrance of that. Joshua is a, is a, was a wonderful source of many stories of God's providence and power. One of these is a story of the crossing of the Jordan River in chapters 3 and 4. There's a lot of elements that, that parallel or reflect the crossing of the Red Sea a generation before, but what they did after it is what struck me. And I'm, I'm reading here Joshua 4, uh, 4 to 8. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. Years later, I was reminded of that same lesson when I was working through a Bible study. Uh, one of the exercises was to look back on your life, divide it into X number of years, or parts, and the numbers don't matter, 
but look for movements of God in each of those times, similar to what we've lately been calling God sightings. Uh, it's helped our, us in our marriage and family to remember and retell God's faithfulness over our lives together. Several of those stories are what we're sharing today. So one of the, these, the first remembrance stones, as I think of them, for me, goes back to the summer of 92. Uh, this was after my sophomore year of college, one year after our uh, Joshua study summer. Uh, go, go back a little further. The spring of my sophomore year, um, it was suggested to me to consider attending InterVarsity School of Leadership training. Uh, I'll call it SLT after this. This was a month-long program at Cedar Campus in the middle of summer. Cedar Campus is on the eastern tip of the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, about nine hours drive from central Illinois. I didn't own a car. I uh, thought it sounded like a good opportunity, but I had no idea how, how I was going to make that happen. Uh, my parents had made it clear that I needed to be working that summer to earn money. Uh, I had chosen a much more expensive college to attend. Uh, and, I, and I agreed with them that I needed to be earning some money and wanted to honor them. So, but I didn't know how to reconcile this with the desire to attend uh, SLT right in the middle of summer. What, what job would let me leave for a month in the middle of summer, not to mention you're not, you're not working and earning for a month. So it seemed impossible. And I, I specifically remember praying this prayer, God, if, if you want me to do both these things, you're going to have to work this out because I, I don't see it. Um, Sometime later, a music professor for whom I was a teaching assistant that sophomore year, his name is Dr. Tucker, uh, he approached me at my locker in the basement of the music building. And I wish I could paint this picture for you. He, had a, he bounced when he walked. He was just very carefree. He was, we loved him. He's, he was an excellent teacher and just a great guy. So, um, so he comes bouncing down the hall. Uh, he tells me that he had been awarded a research grant that was designed for a professor and a student to work on together and asked if I'd be interested. He said my stipend would be $3,000. Um, and remember, this was about 20, 20, 20, years ago. 20 25 years ago. $3, so that's. <laughs> and I said, yeah, definitely interested, uh, but I have a possible conflict. I asked him very hesitantly and skeptically, is there uh, any chance I could take off in the middle of the summer? for a month <laughs> and still still work it out and he kind of I see him doing this thinking through it and he says well the grant was for a minimum of eight weeks and I was going to take some vacation anyway yeah we can make it work and he just turned around and bounced up the hallway like, <laughs> like no big deal and I'm just standing there I, uh, yeah stunned like that for a couple seconds who else who else but God could work something like that um, my roommate at the time, he also was going to SLT, so we found a ride up there together, and uh, I also found cheap housing for the summer in the nearby music fraternity. So that was, yeah, a big moment to look back on. Where did my pictures go? I don't know. This is still there. Right? No? Oh, so yes. where did we skip me? No, I think you're later. You're later. <laughs> you're later. Okay. Uh, so that was 92. Uh, in 94, Andrew and I were married. See? There we go. And uh, the same Dr. Tucker, we asked him to play organ at our wedding. Um, we continued to live in Illinois. Andrew had been working as a case manager, case worker, and then a manager of case workers at a homeless shelter. Uh, I remember she was two years ahead of me, so she is out, graduated and working. Uh, after I graduated, I worked odd temp hammer jobs, as she called them, 
uh, while taking computer classes at Illinois State University, trying to complete the requirements to be uh, eligible to be hired into State Farm's systems department, which was growing rapidly in 95. Uh, at the time, we lived in an apartment and were attending a Methodist church. Here, we were taught of God's goodness to us through community. Uh, in the fall, we were married in the fall, but in the fall, that fall, even before we were married, we joined a, a pretty rigorous, thorough Bible study class at the Methodist Church. Lots of readings. I don't know if we went through the Bible in a year, but it seemed like it. Um, we met Sunday evenings for two and a half hours, the class. It was a, it was a mix of ages and married singles, just a diverse group, and we, uh, we really grew to love and support that group. That's the group on the left. No, oh, yeah, lower the bottom in the circle left. there. Yeah. So one, uh, one of our classmates there was a woman named Betty. Um, she was married to a guy named Bill, but he didn't attend the class. He was at the church. They were maybe 10 years older than us. They already had a small one boy. Uh, she's one of the most tender and kind-hearted people I, I can recall and became a real dear friend. Bill, yeah, Bill did the sign language interpretation at church, and I think his job had something to do with that too. On the side, he made ramps for uh, wheelchair-bound people like we just heard through uh, I can't remember who, but um, on some lists of spiritual gifts, you know, there are different ones. And one of those, I think, there's a gift of service or helps, which is kind of like practical. And every time I hear that, I think of Bill because that's, that's what he did. He always had a smile and was enthusiastic. So after a couple years in our apartment and getting hired at State Farm, we saved up and bought our first home. And shortly thereafter, Andrea lost her job, beginning a disturbing trend for us of buy a home, lose a job. Um, it was a small old home in an established neighborhood. That's it right there. It had remnants of a coal chute in the basement, knob and tube wiring, and all kinds of uh, character. I love that house. It did. It was nice. I, at the time, I knew next to nothing about home maintenance. Uh, and again, this is the dark ages before Google and YouTube videos where you can look up how to fix your dryer and everything, everything that you need to know. So Bill became somewhat of a mentor in helping me with problems around the house, and again, he was always happy to do, do so. One time, I had a, uh, a leaky pipe in the basement. I called Bill, and he came over after work, maybe 5 or 6 o'clock. He took a quick look at it and said, you had a funny way to talk that I can't duplicate. He said, yeah, I just, I just replumbed my house last year. I got some leftover pipes. Give me a little bit. I'll be back. And he, they lived, I mean, just five minutes away down the pretty close. So just hours later, that same night, the doorbell rings. I look out there, and there's Bill on my porch with the pipe and the stuff all welded together. Here you go. And he took me down to the basement and walked me through kind of welding, sweating that, the pipe back into, into our house. The other big thing is that we needed a new roof. Pictures there. We had another couple of friends at church who uh, some combination of contracting or built houses or fixed houses or flipped them, and they convinced us convinced him. that you can do it. You can, you can put your own roof. You can do that yourself <laughs> with, with some help. So we decided to do that. And, of course, that turned into a monster <laughs> job lasting weeks or months. And, of course, Bill helped. There were days when I got home from my work, and there was Bill up on my roof. By himself. Up By on himself, our roof. yeah, before I got home. That's him, Brian, up on the roof. Uh, a lot of people helped, uh, including my dad. He came down. We almost fell off the roof together. Yay. <laughs> Good father-son bonding. <laughs> Falling off the roof. Picture that. Yeah. That's up on the roof. Picture on the right. Uh, the picture on the right. Ah, that's right. 
is a small another small group that we started of young marrieds. Uh, once yeah, once that class ended, we started this one. And Aaron there is the other guy who did a lot of. He flipped houses and was very enthusiastic. Oh, you can do it, no problem. Uh, eventually, I made a move from State Farm's uh, department, IT department, to a consulting firm in an attempt to further develop my career and skills. Uh, this time, Andrea was in grad school. By the time she was finished, we were expecting our first child. Uh, unfortunately, well into her pregnancy, I was informed that my job requirements would be changing and would require a significant increase in uh, work hours. And I was already commuting about 45 minutes to uh, Peoria at that time. That was not the life that we wanted, so I decided to make another change of job. And it became clear to me in the consulting world that job changes might become common. And I told Andrea it would make sense to move to a bigger city where job changes would, wouldn't require us to move. Um, so that's how we got here. We decided to move to Indy in about 2001, where Andrea's family still is and was. So in 2001, just after Keithron won, we moved to Indy and bought our second house. Uh, like they said, I'm a software engineer, and while the, uh, the job market for that has been very stable and good in recent years, that was not the case around 2001, right after we moved. Uh, that was known as the dot-com crash. It was the crash of the first wave of uh, internet-based companies along with the contracting and con consulting companies like the one I worked for. IT jobs were cut all over, including mine. So we moved here, bought a house, lost a job. Lost a job. So, yeah, moved to a new city. I was unemployed with three weeks severance, which I was grateful for. Uh, buying a house was, yeah, turning out to be risky. Uh, at that time, most of the most of the job postings had moved online, uh, and and but there was nothing there at the time on the online job postings. So I turned to the old school newspapers, and found a listing for IT job on the other side of town, over by the airport, and I interviewed for that. Uh, I w was offered the job and started the Monday after my severance was done. Wow. So we didn't have a day or a week without income. So. So as Brian was carrying the load as the provider for our family, I settled into a role as a full-time mom. This is too low, and I can't get it to move. There we go. Um, we knew how much we needed community, so a church hunt was on <coughs> right away. We were interested in e-free churches, and we found only one listed in the phone book, Faith Missionary Church. When we called the church number to find out the service times, lo and behold, the familiar voice of David Stowers was on the line. <laughs> um, we had no idea that this was his church we were calling, but he was on staff at the time, and it was his voice. I'm going, this is, this is, this is David's church. Listen, listen. He was a business manager at the time. So we visited and quickly settled in at Faith Church. Um, I shared earlier that I had harbored thoughts of having boys with K names and twins and adopted children. Uh, but the truth is, I also went into parenting with a great deal of ambivalence. I was never convinced that mothering would be a good fit for me. In grad school, where I was the older married member of the cohort, I told my friends that children scared me. But lo and behold, by the time we were graduating, I was in my first trimester carrying Keith. And that brings me to the meat of my faith story, parenting. I've spent a lot of time contemplating why God arranged life so that we are forced to spend time with babies and young children. <laughs> why did God arrange that humans come to life as an infant in a totally helpless state? 
Why is it that just after we reach an age of maturity, we then become parents trying to raise the next generation? God has to do that on purpose. I've become convinced that parenting is the next stage in God maturing us. We don't have to parent to keep maturing, but, God, but boy, is it an effective teacher. Um, Fred Rogers said something like, it is parenting that makes us parents. We don't really prepare for that a lot ahead of time. Many said to me when we had twins, God must have known you could handle it. Ha! <laughs> On the contrary, God knew how much I needed to develop some dependency and character. Nothing in life ever challenged me like the raising of young children challenged me. So that young mom uh, faced some loneliness, depression, anxiety, and anger. Ah, oh, the anger. How in the world can those sweet, sweet babies, toddlers, and three-year-olds elicit such anger? Perhaps for the first time in my life, I truly understood that I am not worthy of his grace. As my father in heaven, he certainly had cause to be angry and still does with me, knowing well my selfish and judgmental heart. With clarity, I faced the fact head-on that I bring nothing to him but sin and a cry to be saved. Given my family history of mental illness, I knew to take my emotional struggles seriously. God graciously loved me and provided for me through a loving husband, caring doctors, family that by God's grace were nearby by this time because we'd moved back to Indianapolis, and an amazing church community. When the twins were still quite young, I was baptized at Faith Church by Dave Baldwin in the old sanctuary. It was my deep sigh of relief that I could die in Christ and live. I started a prayer in those days that I continue to pray almost daily. Lord, please parent these children in spite of me. It's not a joke. It is a sincere cry of my heart. They need God the Father when they are stuck with a sinful and fallible mom and dad. Uh, during those years of parenting young children, we experienced for the second time the blessing and importance of living in community. Shortly after coming to Faith Church, we asked to join a community group, uh, the Martins, Pinkstons, Leathermans, Hermans, and Kogels, among others, and they welcomed us. This group was intentionally founded to be a community for the families and their kids to grow up together. They were a few years older than us. Uh, they supported, loved, and challenged us so well for many years. We eventually left that group, at least technically, um, to start another small group here at Faith, and we refer to those groups as our alpha and beta groups. Um, in the years since, the members of both of those groups have been the core of our church family without whom we would feel lost. When our oldest three children were in elementary school, God placed me in a new role as a board member at the Montessori Charter School where they attended. The story of that period could be a, its own faith story. Um, the school, while excellent academically, had suffered from poorly equipped leadership and little to no oversight to the point it was nearly bankrupt. The school was such a blessing to my kids and I spent about two and a half years volunteering, at times nearly full-time hours, as a board member as we struggled to bring the school back from the brink. Interestingly, Dave Stowers intersects here again as he served a term as our school board treasurer. I watched as miracle after miracle allowed the doors to remain open, often wondering aloud, why does God seem interested in saving this little school? Why does he love this school? I'm grateful, but why? And Kelly Martin said, because he loves you. 
And I tucked that away, still unconvinced. Uh, that's not reason enough, I thought. Then came Alana. When Kyle and Renee were 12 and Keith was 15, Brian and I got an email about a girl who was looking for a permanent family. But let me back up. Two years before that, Brian and I had a conversation in our kitchen. We had both missed an adoption information session that the Rissers hosted as part of a Faith Connection class. In conversation, we discovered that we had independently been disappointed to have missed that session. We stared at each other in the kitchen. I remember this distinctly. Um, after the birth of our twins, conversation about adoption had ceased. <laughs> and partnering or and parenting had taught me my need for God. It had taught me well my shortcomings. How could adoption still be in the cards for us? But we reiterated what we had long said to each other. If Christian families do not step in and care for kids without families, who will? And at what point is it disobedience to not act on this idea that keeps coming back to us? So we agreed to take steps towards foster adoption, asking God to stop us along the way if it was not the right thing for us. In fact, I prayed like this. If there is a child for us, you are going to have to pretty much put that child in my lap and say, this is the one. That was my prayer. After a year or so of a foster license process, we began to receive occasional notices of kids that were available for adoption. It was at this point that we told our older three kids that adoption was something we were considering. They had varied initial reactions to that possibility, and they needed time to process the possibility just as we did. Very few people at church knew we were considering adoption. I didn't share because I couldn't face the questions. I was too unsure of the idea myself. Each of our kids had one close friend that did not attend faith with whom they shared. Brian and I told our siblings and parents and a small group of prayer partners. Otherwise, the possibility was our family's prayerful secret. We thought we were interested in adopting a child younger than our three, but not too young. I could not go back to babies and toddlers. I knew that. For over a year after licensure, we got just a few referrals, and most were clearly not good for fits for us, and the others came up nothing after we submitted our names. We wondered if maybe it was not to be. The older kids would ask, are we still maybe going to adopt? And we just don't know was the honest answer. At the advice of a friend, I prayed some specific prayers about this possible unknown child of mine. My friend said that I could look back then and be reassured of God's hand in the process even when it got hard. So here were my prayers. I told Brian that church is such a massive part of our lives. How would a child adjust if he or she didn't have a desire or at least a willingness to be part of a church or attend worship services? I told Brian I was praying that our child would love the church. I also know that many foster kids aren't readers, but reading is a great love in our family. It may seem trivial, Lord, but could you be so kind as allow this child to love to read? And I giggled inside myself when it crossed my mind that maybe he or she would love musical theater. That's a love of mine. Oops. <laughs> and something that Keith and now Renee have always loved. But Brian and Kyle don't love it. And I laughed. I'm like, that's just silly. I never even said it out loud. In the summer of 2015, that email came about a nine-year-old girl who was actually turning 10 about that time. So the top is our three bigs, and at the bottom you'll see Alana at the back with the Illis children. I knew that the Illises here at Faith were fostering a girl about that age. 
Renee and I had met her at the soccer field in the spring, and I was her substitute Sunday school teacher one week that summer. It crossed my mind, could this email referral be about her? We submitted our name and heard nothing back. Then the email came through again, this time with the name Alana. I called Jessica Illis. She at the time was walking around the state fair with her brood. I said, uh, you can call me later. No, no, that's fine, you know, if you know Jessica. <laughs> um, I told her I was pretty sure Alana's case file had been forwarded to us for possible placement. Did you say placement with you, she said? They had no idea we were licensed. She called her case manager, I called case man my case manager, and later that afternoon, while standing in a Coles dressing room, staring at myself in the mirror, I was told on the phone, if you want her, she's yours. <laughs> Jessica and I arranged for our families to get together for a cookout to meet that Saturday. We told our three big kids over dinner that evening. You know Alana, who's been living with the Illises? Renee and Kyle did, Keith did not. Well, we're considering having her join our family. That was a dinner conversation our older kids will never forget. But that's part of their face story to tell. Now for the Illises to introduce the idea to Alana. As the Illises were driving to visit the Spores, Andy and Kelly, they asked Alana if she remembered the Prestons at church. Would she like to meet us as a potential adoptive family? Sure. She then ran into the Spores house and loudly proclaimed, the Prestons are gonna adopt me. <laughs> when I heard that story, that felt like God laying a child in my lap and saying, this is the one. So that's that Saturday. Then the confirmations came. Remember my specific prayers? Alana's case manager told me, that attending church every Sunday was on Alana's list of non-negotiables for a forever family. She was actively involved at Faith Church by the time we were connecting. This child not only loved the church, she loved our church. The second time Alana came to visit us, I was searching for things to do. I suggested we could go to the library. Alana said, I love the library. <laughs> She happily checked out a stack of books, and on the ride home, she said, can I read one to you? And she did. God reassured my heart again. He had provided me with another daughter who loves to read. And during Alana's time with the Illises, their oldest daughter introduced Alana to the musical Wicked. When we met, Alana was quick to tell me all about her love for that musical. She even named her favorite songs from the soundtrack. God knows our hearts so well. When Alana joined our family, we needed to make a decision about an elementary school. So our family's story circled back to that Montessori school. My older three had been out of the Montessori school for about a year, but God had saved that school, and by that time it was thriving with two locations and about 400 students. I gave the director a call, a woman I had been part of hiring. Here's the beauty of Montessori for Alana. She could be placed in a mixed grade upper elementary classroom where she would have the same teacher, a loving mother herself, for three years. What a blessing for a kid who had to abruptly change school several times in her life. And Montessori schools do not issue letter, letter grades. Students are routinely evaluated as to their understanding of their work and they move forward at their own pace. Alana, who was adjusting to a new family and a new school, could relax and learn without those outside measurements that tend to make kids either feel good enough or not good enough. 
she could learn for the joy of learning. And as part of bonding with our family, she was able to go to the school where the Prestons were known and she could begin to take on our family identity. The Prestons go to Montessori school. God saved that school because he loved me and he loves Alana and that's a good enough reason. Alana will remain at that Montessori school for two more years through the eighth grade and a close family friend is one of the middle school's teachers. It's such a blessing. So another note about God's faithfulness to me in parenting. The question often arises, how has it been for your older three children as Alana has joined the family? Well, as we often said in family counseling, the introduction of a new 10-year-old sibling is a bit like a bomb going off. <laughs> for both that 10-year-old, who now has to live with a well-established family group with its own quirks, habits, and traditions, and for the family who has a newcomer in the house. But I want to tell you that I am forever grateful that God allowed us to adopt at a time when we had three older children to learn to love her along with us. When emotions were raw, I told Keith and Kyle and Renee that if Brian and I were called to be Alana's parents and she our daughter, which we were, then they were called to be Alana's big brothers and big sister and she their baby sister. God answered those prayers of mine to parent my children in spite of me. Keith and Kyle and Renee have always had a uniquely loving sibling relationship and Alana came to us willing to become a part of that. Truth be told, our four kids have often led me and Brian in this family bonding process. And we are still in the process of bonding and blending. blending. While it's been almost three years since Alana joined our family, it's only been three years. But God has put this church-loving, book-loving, and musical theater-loving girl in my lap, and she is ours. One final story for me, and then Brian will wrap us up. When Alana joined our family, I recognized that she needed some retraining on healthy eating habits. Trouble was, I hated being in the kitchen, and I did not look forward to focusing on that part of our life. I searched for local resources to help with nutrition training for youth and came up empty. I began to pray that God would provide some outside support. After a year praying about that, I was at Psalm Pool. A former pool manager whom I'd befriended happened to be there that day. She no longer worked there. She was in her street clothes. We greeted each other and we sat down to catch up. I asked, where, where are you working now? She said, oh, I work for a new local nonprofit called Energy Craze that helps unhealthy teens get healthy. <laughs> that was my, my jaw dropped. Long story short, by that fall, we had a nutri nutrition and fitness consultant in our home twice a week for nine weeks. We never paid any fees. She suggested typical diet changes, you know, eat more fruits and vegetables. But she also encouraged us to do some nutrition homework via some quality documentaries. In the end, Brian and I decided to cut meat and dairy from our diet, at least when eating at home. Our meal plans changed almost overnight. The results for Alana were radical. There's no video. There is a video, but I'm not showing it to you. But um, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't guess now that she was a pretty unhealthy kid at one point in her life. But here's where the story becomes my personal faith story. I had suffered from painful arthritis for years. Symptoms began in my early to mid-30s. I was taking medication twice a day by the time of our diet change. I'd suffered through a frozen shoulder, including surgery, had plantar fasciitis, and wore a brace on my wrist for months due to pain of unknown origin. My kids knew not to hold my hand too tightly or I would flinch. As a result of our diet change, I no longer take arthritis medicine at all. My arthritis isn't gone, but my pain is very manageable now. 
I thought Alana needed help, and God knew that I did. As I said, I've never enjoyed cooking, though I was fully capable. It just doesn't bring me joy. But I now spend hours in the kitchen preparing healthy and nutritious meals for myself and my family. God used adoption of a child to help me get beyond that hurdle. I've made peace with the kitchen and the healthy food that God provides. Um, I'm going to go off script for just a second. Oh, he's going off script. I just want to summarize, because I, I struggle this, with trying to convey my mental image of this remembrance stone idea thing and the timing of that, because it's confusing. So bear with me for just a second. The Bible study I mentioned was about 10 years ago. So I was about 35, the one that told you to look back on your life and look for God movements. And so I looked back, and I saw that, that summer of with Dr. Tucker and the music research and working that all out, and then the, uh, the job you know, the dot-com thing was about four years before this. So those were both in my past. And those just loomed so large for me as, as like Joshua, as pillar stones of remembrance. I mean, like goalposts or whatever you want to call it. They just, they loom large for me looking back of God's provision. So, but that was about 10 years ago. So I, the timing of that, I just, I don't know, I wanted to summarize and try to convey some of that in a different, different way. Um, so back on script here. Uh, a year after Alana joined our family, we decided to move to a larger home. Uh, we bought our third house, and predictably, I was laid off <laughs> by, by a house and lose, lose a job. Uh, as in the past, the Lord provided another position, but Andrew and I have decided that we'd better not move again until we're <laughs> ready to retire. <laughs> So, yeah, in conclusion, I want to share one more thing. A few months ago, I was reading uh, Psalm 78 as part of uh, a devotion and, again, found the theme of remembering what God has done for you, not only for yourself, but telling it to the next generation. So this is Psalm 78.4. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. This passage was what got me thinking about sharing our faith story. I feel like that's what this series is about. So I hope, if you haven't already done this, that you'll consider remembering the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord's in your life and sharing your faith story. That's it. The end. What is that? Oh, how we met? Yeah. Okay. Um, university. It was one of the early InterVarsity Christian Fellowship meetings at the beginning of the school year, right after he'd come to campus. Um, and I was standing in the back with some other ap uh, upperclassmen, you know, scanning for the newcomers. And you need to understand that when I was, I was the baby of the family, and my oldest sister uh, started dating her boyfriend, who became her husband, when I was six months old. So he's always been in my life. Um, they got married when I was four. His name was Tom. At the time, he was Tommy. So I grew up saying, I'm going to marry Tommy. I'm going to marry Tommy. Um, and he looked like Tom from the back. So I did one of these. Hey, hey, you. Yeah? I said, what's your name? He said, Brian. I said, never mind. <laughs> we 
which I'm thinking now, wasn't I supposed to be welcoming the freshmen? What? <laughs> it worked out okay. If you don't ask questions, you have to discuss. That's Kyle. Kyle, stand up. <laughs> Kyle would hate to stand up. Raise your hand at least so they know who you are. That's, that's Renee's twin. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> um, we have to send my first baby off to college a week from tomorrow. Oh, yeah, they and went upstairs. He's upstairs being recognized with the other seniors. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you're right. We do, yeah. we do have a major change coming. Do you see how I'm dying that and avoiding thinking about it? You know, it's... <laughs> It is kind of crazy for a woman who was like, I don't know if I want to do this kid thing, you know. And, and I was pretty sure all along, oh, you know, people get so worked up when their oldest go to college. I think it'll be fine. I'm like, I really like him. <laughs> what college is involved? He's headed to Purdue Engineering. And he's taken his guitar with him, everybody, because he <laughs> loves the guitar. So do you have any physical mementos that you keep around the house to remind you of certain No, we thought we had the, uh, the letters. We actually looked back we, that we had the Bible study notes in, but we found some. We have we, the letters, but we don't have the Bible study notes. I think we must have pulled those out at some point and put them somewhere else, and we can't find those. Um, at first, we were going, oh, my gosh, we really did this, right? <laughs> and he did find one or two, so we convinced ourselves that we didn't make this all up in our heads. Um, but, yeah, it was funny because when we put that question on there, I, I thought of that question, but I realized we don't have physical things, um, but we do tell our stories. We do tell our stories. Um, and we have Kyle Joshua to remind us of our Joshua study. <laughs> And I appreciate the kids being willing to let us tell because, you know, there's a line between what's their story to tell and what's our story to tell. So we tried to be careful with that. All right, so I have at least three things that I have to remember to say. First is there's a baptism pretty shortly here. So we only have about five or eight minutes for discussion time, but I have a sign-up sheet. There's a cookout coming up on August 19th um, at the Shamboss. So we're gonna pass this around. Please put your names down if you can make it. Um, put a question mark next to your name if you think you can, but you're not sure, um, and then confirm back with Anne-Marie later. Um, but with that, we can go to discussion. There's a sheet of paper on the table in front of you in case you haven't been to one of these before. 
um, there's some questions that will really help guide conversation. Um, so you can have a sort of constructive conversation about you know, what, what was shared today. Um, and you can always come up and ask more questions if more come up. So thank you very much for coming. I'll come up and I'll come up and kick everyone out when I know that it's really time to go to baptism time so we don't miss it. <laughs>